And I want someone to explain that to me after service, explain how <laughs> we maintain both. God's the primary mover, but there are real secondary causes. When I eat too much, I gain too much weight. That's my fault. Okay. Um, all right. Acts 27. We are flying. Uh, oh. We're going to take the whole chapter. There we go. All right, 44 verses. Right. Here we go. God's holy word. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, they proceeded to deliver Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking on the Adramidian ship, which was about to sail to the regions along the coast of Asia, we put out to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica. The next day we put in Sidon, and Julius treated Paul with consideration and allowed him to go to his friends and receive care. From there we put out to sea and sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. When he sailed through the sea along the coast of Cilicia, Pamphylia, we landed at Myra, at Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy, and he put us aboard it. When we had sailed slowly for a good many days and with difficulty arrived at Snidus, since the wind did not permit us to go any further, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off of Salome. And with difficulty sailing past it, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which the city was the city of Lacia. When considerable time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, since even the fast was already over, Paul began to admonish them. He said to them, Men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss, not only to the cargo and the ship, but also for our lives. But the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot, the captain of the ship, than by what was being said by Paul. Because the harbor was not suitable for wintering, the majority reached a decision to put out to sea from there. If somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing, south, facing southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. When a moderate south wind came up, supposing they had attained their purpose, they weighed anchor and began sailing along Crete close inshore. And before very long, there rushed down from the land a violent wind called Euraquilo. Uh, and when the ship was caught in it, they could not face the wind. We gave way to it and let ourselves be driven along. Running under the shelter of a small island called Clauda, we were scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. After they had hoisted it up, they used supporting cables in undergirding the ship, and fearing that they might run aground in the shallows of Sirtis, they let down the sea anchor, and in this way they let themselves be driven along. The next day, as we were being violently storm-tossed, they began jettisoning the cargo, and on the third day they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small storm was assailing us, from then on, all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. When they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up in their midst and said, Man, you have ought to have followed my advice and not to set sail from Crete and incurred the damage and loss. Yet now I urge you to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, 
stood before me, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. Behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I've been told. But we must run aground on a certain island. When the fourteenth night came, as we were being driven about in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors began to surmise that we, they were approaching some land. They took soundings and found it to be twenty fathoms. A little further, they took another sounding, found it to be fifteen fathoms. Fearing that they might run aground somewhere on the rocks, they cast four anchors from the stern and wished for daybreak. But as the sailors were trying to escape from the ship, and having let down the ship's boat into the sea under the pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men remain on the ship, you yourselves cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it fall away. Until the day was about to dawn, Paul was encouraging them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you've been constantly watching and going without eating, having taken nothing. Therefore, I encourage you to take some food, for this is for your preservation, for not a hair from the head of any of you will perish. Having said this, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all. He broke it and began to eat. All of them were encouraged, and they, they themselves also took food. All of us in the ship were 276 persons. When they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship by throwing out the wheat into the sea. When the day came, they could not recognize the land, but they did observe a bay with a beach. And they resolved to drive the ship onto it if they could. Casting off the anchors, they let them in the sea, while at the same time they were loosening the ropes of the rudders, hoisting the foresail to the wind. They were heading for the beach. But striking a reef where two seas met, they ran the vessel aground, and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable. But the stern began to be broken up by the force of the waves. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, so that none of them would swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to bring Paul safely through, kept them from their intention and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest should follow, some on planks, others on various things from the ship. And so it happened, they all were brought safely to land. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, you are God and we are not. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever, perfectly so. We are fickle and feeble and frail as dust. Have mercy upon me, have mercy upon all of us. Build us up in the holy image of our holy Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, let me give a little bit of context of what we're looking at here, which is obviously a storm. And I'd like to tie that into what we've just looked at previously in the past couple of sermons, which has been um, that uh, life in Jesus Christ is uh, one of trial-bearing. In chapter 25 and all of chapter 26, this is a historic narrative, so you can take, unlike, say, a doctrinal epistle like Romans, where you could do five sermons from two verses, this, I'm just going to take the, 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 the whole chapter, like we did with chapter 26, and just do a thematic overview of it. Chapter 26, we were dealing with the Apostle Paul's fifth and, well, second to final trial, before the Gentile, well, I suppose he was a converted Jew, uh, Herod Agrippa II. And what we learn there is that the word of the Lord Jesus Christ came true. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, that his servants will be appointed by him to bear witness of his name, of his gospel, uh, to kings and rulers, those in authority, Jews and Gentiles alike. 
and that he's sending these gospel heralds, Paul and others like him, out as sheep to the wolves, that they would die in service to Jesus. This is what it means to be a witness, to be a martyr, is what it is in the Greek. And so that certainly is coming to pass in Paul's life. Uh, The apostle Paul has been called to this, and we learn that those who oppose the Lord Jesus Christ will oppose those who love Christ and who uh, preach Christ. Part of the purpose in Jesus Christ sending Paul and his other gospel servants to these, these men who have been deceived by the father of lies, they believe the lie is the truth and the truth is the lie, is that it's got, God has a twofold purpose for the gospel. Or the gospel has two smells. One, it's the aroma of death to those busy being lost. And so this, when the gospel goes to those who are opposed to it, in part it's meant to judge. Um, those who have heard the gospel and reject it will be judged on the last day for their aggravation of sin. But the other primary purpose of sending a gospeler to even people like Herod and Festus and Felix is to save them. It's to save them. Um, I don't know when you, how old you were when you were converted. I was 26. I was deceived. I was deceived by the father of lies. I believed the lie was the truth and the truth was a lie. And then gospelers come saying, there's life in Christ. Repent of your sins. Turn to him. So even when we look at those trial times, though they're very painful for God's people and ultimately will prove mortal to, um, to Christ's servants, they have a holy purpose. And the holy purpose is to seek and to save. The Christian religion is evangelical religion. It's one where we love God, we love God in Christ, and we love the lost. We love the lost. And our desire is to give them the gospel, even if they hate us. That God, the Holy Spirit, the regeneration is God's business. Our business is to give the gospel seed. In this case, it's in the context of, uh, of a trial. And everyone that owns the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Christian life is a life of, of trial. And so Satan's purpose in these trial times is... Is, is to destroy your witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's to make you stop living for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the devil's purpose. That's why the devil had the Apostle Paul put in jail. The devil had one purpose, but God has another purpose. Remember Joseph said to his brothers, what you meant for evil, you wanted to destroy me, but God had another purpose. And so there are two wills, as it were. God's will and then Satan's will, and the children of Satan's will, and and God's will will prevail. But the devil's purpose in putting a Christian in this trial is to destroy your faith. It It is to stop you from witnessing of the Lord Jesus Christ, either by threatening you or by smiling at you. But God in Christ has another purpose for the trial. And this is what we need. This we can only comprehend by faith. Trials are painful. That's part of the nature of a trial. Just like discipline is painful. That's why it works. It's painful. Storms are painful. That's why we learn of Christ. We learn things of Christ in a trial and in a storm that you can't learn of Jesus Christ on the mountaintop. But that's according to God's purpose. So the devil wants to stop the gospeler. The devil wants to stop you and to destroy your faith in a trial. But God's purpose in the time of trial is antithetical to that. His purpose is to refine your faith. 
You think it's going to kill you. You think the trial will kill you. I've been there. I'm there right now. You think it will kill you. But it's not meant to kill you. It's meant to refine you. It's meant to make your faith more pure, stronger, more zealous. And so God's purpose is the opposite. It's to refine your faith and to increase your gospel witness for Jesus Christ through the trial. And beloved, I have a question for you. Whose will will prevail? God's or Satan's? God and Christ will prevail. And the trick or the difficulty for the Christian is we still have the flesh. Lord, what, what, what is that saying in Mark 9 that we all have underlined in our Bible? Remember the, the fellow, is, he's worried about his child. Lord, I believe. Go ahead, finish the next part. Help thou my unbelief. That's the hardship of being a Christian. And people say, well, you believe in Jesus. I do. You think you'll die and go to heaven when you die? I, I think I will, for Christ's sake. Well, then you should just face life like... The problem is we have the flesh. <laughs> and we're afraid of a great many things. Um, walking by faith is not for the faint-hearted. And so the, the, the trials are here. We should think of our whole life as, as Christians as a trial time. And I don't mean that to discourage anybody. Perhaps I should put it, maybe it will sound better if I put it like this. From chapter 25 and 26 and even this passage, we should think of our Christian life as um, testing time. This, this is testing time. And our whole life as believers is meant to test or refine our faith. To, to burn off the dross of unbelief, to burn off the dross of the flesh, to refine our faith that Jesus is the Christ, that the word of God is true, and that we live on it. And so we learn just principally, again, I'm just flying over this passage. We learn that life in Jesus Christ is glorious. Our sins are forgiven. We're restored to the Father. We have the prayers of the Son. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The church is our family. Heaven as a home is all true. But we are not in heaven yet, beloved, are we? In a sense, we're in him and where he is, Colossians 3, 1, where he is, we're represented. True, that's true. But we're not in heaven yet, right? This is trial time and testing time. And all of us are adverse to pain. You have to be a strange person to like pain. No one likes pain. And the way that our flesh uh, reckons things is pain, bad, pleasure, good. But we can't think like that. Because then we would, we would annul the benefit of the trial. We have to think like this. Whatever shapes us more, more closely into the image of Jesus, that is a good thing. I'm not saying a pleasant thing. I'm not saying a pain-free thing. But it's good. This is a Romans 8.28. All things work together. I would never say that to like, if I know you're going through some crucible, but the crucible is meant to conform us into the image of Jesus, to prepare us to live with Jesus forever and ever. And we're going to live with other people that love Jesus forever and ever. Our whole life, beloved, our whole life as Christians, this is testing time, refining time. The second thing I want us to, to see from the previous passage in this passage, the major theme, and all I'm doing is stepping back, again, flying over the trees. We're going to see what does chapter 26 teach us. Obviously, the Apostle Paul, he's been traveling around. He's, he, he went to Jerusalem. He's back up in Caesarea in trial. He's going to go from Caesarea 
and now he's going off to Rome, Italy. All of this is under the general theme of a journey. The Apostle Paul is on a journey. And I'm going to, again, apply that figuratively. Just as if Paul was in a literal trial, life in Christ is a metaphorical or a figurative trial. The Apostle Paul is on a literal journey. I'm applying that figuratively. Life in Jesus Christ is a journey. This is a journey. You don't have to go to this church two times where you know that there are some general themes that run through my brain because this is who I am. If I were to use that phrase, uh, word journey, you could replace with that life in Christ is a pilgrimage. And, and that's what we're looking at. As You have all of these places that they're going. They're going from here to there. God the Holy Spirit. Where, where was the Apostle uh, Paul born? He's from uh, Tarsus in Turkey. And then he's born again in Damascus, uh, Syria. And then he'll die where? He's going to die in Rome, Italy. His whole life is a journey. God the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ is taking his gospel servant on this life journey of living for Christ, serving Christ. And the way that Paul serves Christ is he gospels. He gives out the gospel of Jesus. That's what he's called to do. But God the Holy Spirit is taking him on this life's journey. And it's helpful for us not only to think of our life as testing time, trying time of the faith. It helps us, especially when times are hard, which is a lot of life is is hard. Sad to say, uh, it is. But in this life as a journey, we're learning just thematically, this world is not the destination. Um, We open ourselves up for disappointment. People do this when they get married and things like that. And I'm, I'm for getting married I'm for all of these wonderful things. When this, I'm going to shoot for this wonderful thing. When I graduate, when I get married, when we have our first kid, when I get, when, we think very much destination. I'm going to get the destination. But this passage teaches the opposite. Our life is not about the destination in this life, as it were. This life is not the destination. This life is the journey. This life is the pilgrimage. Now, the destination is always in view. It is the Philippians 3, 1 through 14. We're going to the destination. In this life, the Spirit of God, this is all under the government of even Christ's life. We could, we could apply that, that motif of journey to Christ's life. Christ came into the world for the purpose of redeeming his church, purchasing his church. He was born in Bethlehem. And then the Bible says, Christ set his face like flint on this journey of life, and he set his face like flint towards what place? Jerusalem. Born in Bethlehem, he's journeying his whole life to go to Jerusalem. He says, I must go to Jerusalem. Why did he go to Jerusalem? To die. To die for our sins, to rise for our justification. And all during the journey of the the Lord Jesus Christ, he was disbelieved, he was hated, he was opposed, he was arrested, He was murdered, but I'm going to say this, but some people believed. Most didn't believe, but some did believe. It's the same with the Apostle Paul. God, the Holy Spirit, takes him. He's hated. He's opposed. He's arrested. He's murdered at the end of his journey. Most don't believe, but some do believe. That's the elect, beloved. God, there are, it is, there's a Titus chapter 1. God has an elect. He keeps the list. I don't know who they are. God knows who they are. 
Paul tells Titus, we do our ministry for the elect. Some are going to believe. It's for them that he undergoes this journey of life, giving away the gospel. Most people hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and what do they do? They're, they're already planning to go out to, to, for lunch. They're all absorbed with time and space and sense and material. They live for their bodies. It's only when the Holy Spirit opens our blind eyes to spiritual realities, the things of Christ, the things of our soul, the things of eternity, it's for them that Christ was on the journey. It's for them that the Apostle Paul is on the journey. And I say again, we don't know who those people that will come to faith are. Therefore, we are ubiquitous with the giving of the gospel. Everyone gets it. We want everyone within the sound of our voice to love the Christ that we love and that loves us. So we would do well to think of our life in Jesus Christ as a journey. And when we talk about that, um, this, is a, this is a Hebrews chapter 11. We, I've mentioned this before. Maybe in more Baptistic churches, they, say, um, they sing a song, Beulah Land. And maybe if you're raised in a Baptist church, you've, you've heard that phrase, Beulah Land. Have you not heard that? That's from the book of Isaiah. When we go home, after this lifetime of journeying for the Christian, we're going to Beulah Land. And Beulah means what in Hebrew? Married. We're going to be married. We're married now. We're betrothed to our Jesus, as it were. And then we die, when we die as Christians, this is what the Christian life is all about. In this journey, this is what Paul is doing. This is the theme of what Paul is doing. We're traveling, 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 but we're on our way home to meet our, to meet our husband, our bridegroom. And the eternal estate is pictured as an eternal marriage feast. It's Beulah. And the other word that the Hebrew uses for this place that we're going, the destination, is Hefzeba. It's all pleasantness. Beloved, I love, I, I, I love Pensacola. We have the prettiest beaches on the planet. But it's not all Hefzeba, is it? Even being in beautiful Pensacola, people get sick, people get hurt, people get divorced, people die, is not all Hefzeba. This world is not... This world is not our home. We, we are pilgrims. I'm going to buy, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do all those things. I, we should do, be the best you can be. <laughs> fix up your house, cut your grass. But don't fix your heart on it. Don't, don't, don't carry it around like a backpack. If you have Christ, you have enough. And we, we, are, literal, we are literal travelers. And the Holy Spirit is teaching us this. And I, I want to ask a question, though. How can, we journey, how can we live this journey life for Christ in a Christ-pleasing way? How can you live as a pilgrim in a Christ-pleasing way? Do you know what I mean when I say that? Uh, I mean with confidence, with courage. And I don't mean a glibness. I don't mean a glibness. There are sometimes where Christians are like, you should have joy at all times, joy in the Holy Spirit at all times. I, I know those passages. I, <laughs> what happens when you're crying? What happens when you're in so much pain you can't think straight? What, what then? Can you live for Christ when you're in the storm? Can you? And if you can, how? How? 
by faith. By faith. I, I want to read something to you. I love, well, I love all the old writers. I know there's a, what is the oldest better. I, I'm like, an, I'm born out of time. No, I guess I'm born in the exact time God wanted me. L- listen to this. This is from Horatius Bonar. This is life as a Christian, as a journey life. Life is a journey, not a home. A road, not a city of habitation. Now listen to this. In the enjoyments and the blessings we have are but little inns on the roadside of life where we may be refreshed for a moment that we may with new strength press on to the end to the rest that remains for the people of God. That's how we do it. We have to walk by faith. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and not by sight. We have to crucify the flesh. We have to resist the devil. We, we, ha- we have to resist the cacophony of voices that want us to live by what we can see or feel. Your life is broken. Your body is broken. Your marriage is broken. The country is broken. The world is broken. Despair. No, no, no. 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 Jesus said, where I am, there you will be also. Christ says, the life I live, I live by the spirit of Jesus Christ in me. By faith. And this by faith business is just like when you get married. When you get married, you say, like, I love you. I swear only you, no other woman but you, you're it. That's a daily thing. This is not a one and done. That's a daily thing. Eyes for you daily. Heart for you daily. 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 We have to recommit ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. Daily. Every day, pick up our cross. Every day, follow after Jesus in this life's journey, which will include storms. And the other thing I want to say regarding life being a journey in Christ, which we see with Paul, it's a particular journey. What do I mean by that? We believe in the sovereignty of God. It just is a fancy word for God is the Lord and we're not. God has ordained for Paul the particulars of his life journey that are particular for Paul. What do I mean by that? Think of it this way. God is sending Paul to Rome. But he sends Timothy, where? To Ephesus. And he sends Titus to Crete. So when we think of our life in Jesus Christ as this journey for our whole life, we're, we're pilgrims, we're following after Jesus to go into the celestial city, we have to look at our lives as being particularly given to us by an all-sovereign God and for good. And what I mean by that in application is the place you were born, that's the beginning of your journey that was given to you particularly. You were born where you were born. You were raised where you were raised because Christ wanted you there. The parents that you have or had were given to you particularly by Jesus Christ for you, for the journey that he has for you. We need to think like that. The gifts that you have, the crosses you have, the weaknesses you have, all given to you particularly for you by Christ, for your journey. 
we always compare. I Churchill said that, or one of them, Roosevelt, I read both of those guys all the time. Um, comparison is the thief of joy. We do this all the time. Look at Paul. George Whitfield, I think, is the greatest evangelist that ever lived next to Paul. Well, I'm, well don't compare yourself to George Whitfield. I guarantee you, if you're, a better, you're a better husband and a better dad than Whitfield. So he was a phenomenal, uh, George Carey, you're a better dad and a better uh, husband than George Carey. You're not a better linguist. So we want to we look at our brothers and sisters. There, there are things similar to Christians that we share all in common uh, in, in the journey. We're all part of the great cloud of witnesses. We're all walking on the narrow road of Jesus. Baptist, Presbyterian, Episcopalian, big, small, black, white, rich, poor, Christian. We're all on the same narrow road, all of us. We're all cross carriers, but we have different crosses. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Some people say, well, John, you had a problem with alcohol. I don't have a problem with alcohol. Good for you. I, always, I, never, drank, I never drank responsibly in my entire life. Every time I drank, I drank to get drunk. To just stop the pain, to stop the voices, to stop the darkness. And it makes other things darker. You, you may not have had that problem. That's my cross. You have another cross. And when we think of life's journey, God is the one saying, you're going to go this way. You, you, we could look at another person and say, I could run faster from here to there. Yeah, but you don't know that the other person is carrying a hundred pound weight on their back. Because Christ gave it to them to carry. And why did he? Why did he? Why does he say, here are the particulars of your journey? Here are the particulars of your... Because he has people that he wants you to meet that are particular to your particulars. When you meet another fellow sufferer in your particular way, you can help them. Whereas I might not be able to help them. And so we need to look at the wisdom of all of this. All of us can be victims. We can, and I'm not making fun. If, if you've had horrible things happen in your life, I'm not making light of that. But we're not victims. We're children of the king and we're the, under the government of King Christ. And those things are under the government of our Lord. And he's using them for a purpose. Paul's a little, he is a little bitty guy, but he's a giant in the faith. He is a twisted little body, but he's a mind like no one's mind. All given him, particular. Beloved, it's helpful for us to look at our lives and say, well, I can't serve Christ like Paul. No, you can't. But you can serve Christ like you. And no one else can serve Christ like you, like you. It's helpful to think of that. Then when we look at this life as a journey, we see a couple of things. The Apostle Paul wants to go to Rome, and the Lord Jesus Christ wants him to go to Rome. <laughs> Therefore, Paul's going to Rome. This is why we read chapter 5, paragraph 1 and 2. Ch chapter 5 of our confession deals with providence. If you ask me how this works, I don't know how it works. I know that it's true, but I don't know how it works. Everything is ordained by God, Ephesians 1.11. Everything. He's never culpable for sin, but he governs sin. How does that work? I don't know. James 1.13, he's never the author of sin. So I, I know what is. I don't know how to reconcile it with other things. 
the Lord Jesus Christ has a will, you're going to Rome. And the, the Apostle Peter has a, uh, Paul has a will, I want to go to Rome. That's a real will of the Apostle. There's a real secondary, I desire to see my brothers and sisters in Jesus. How the primary mover and the real secondary causes of the will of the servant work, I don't know. I know they're both true. There is this passionate desire on the, he says it a number of times. He opens up the book of Romans. He talks about it in Romans 1. He talks about it in Romans chapter 15. He says to the Roman Christians, I have desired so many times to come to you and to build you up in your faith. Paul wants to go to Rome and he wants to impart some gift to his brothers and sisters. The gift that he has is not silver or gold. What does Paul have that he wants to give to his brothers and sisters in Rome? Christ. He wants to give Christ. He wants to build them up in the faith. He receives direct revelation of the Lord Jesus. He says, I want to go to Rome and I want to build up my brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Now guess what happens in the Apostle Paul's life? He is providentially prohibited. He can't. This is Romans 15. He says, I've been trying to see you. I'm trying to see you every five seconds and I have been prohibited. Beloved, sometimes we want to do good. We want to open our mouth up for Christ. We want to share Christ. We want to live more to the glory of God. We want to see... A pr- if I could go back and wave my magic wand and I knew my father was going to die when he died, I would go back and see him before he died. But I didn't know that he was going to die that quick. So I didn't get to go. We are just the creature. We're just the servant. He's the Lord. We have a, I, I, I want to go. You can't go yet because life is a journey. I want you to see some other people. And then when God the Holy Spirit opens that door and it's completely in a way, I want to go to Rome. He's thinking he's taking a bus going to Rome. He he thinks it's going to be one. How's he going to go to Rome? To get his head chopped off. His desire is to build up brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ And Jesus has a desire for him to go to Rome. But his desire to go to Rome is why? Why does Jesus say? He says early in the book of Acts, you're going to Rome. He says in our passage, the angel says, you will stand before who? Caesar. Why does Christ want to take Paul on his journey all around, bring him to Rome, and have him stand before Caesar. Why? Because it is his will. Paul wants to build up Christians, and Jesus wants him to do that, but he has another task. I want you to stand before the heathen emperor, Caesar, and tell him what? What was the only thing that Paul told people? This is the First Corinthians 2 too. This is why people think I'm a loon. I have two sisters, I, both unbelievers. Not born-again Christians. My older sister's a Unitarian. She's like a Unitarian minister. I love her madly, but we differ. She'll say to me, you're like a broken record. It's just Jesus, the cross, look to Christ, be forgiven, life is hard, go home to heaven. You're like a broken record. That's all you ever tell me. And what do I say to her? Catherine, I love you madly. Jesus, the cross, heaven, go to heaven. That's what Paul did. That was going to be the message. It's not like, let's make Rome great again. It's not vote with an R or a D or an L. It's none of that. He didn't do any of that. 
He didn't do any of that. He didn't talk about socio-change culture. He didn't do any of that. What did he do? My Christ has sent me to tell you that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. Christ is the Lamb of God. He takes away the sins of the world. You think like, you're really going to just share the gospel of the cross? That's exactly what Christ wants. Why? Why? Remember the book of Daniel? Very interesting book. I'm not very good with prophecy. There are some things in the Bible which I can work a little bit better than other things in the Bible. Prophecy can be a tricky, tricky thing. But I want to say, it's Daniel chapter 2, and I want to say Daniel chapter 9. There are four kingdoms. There are antichrist kingdoms. And they're successively going to arise on the world scene. And then a rock is going to be pulled out of the mountain. And it's going to crush all four successive kingdoms, antichrist kingdoms. The last kingdom to be crushed by the rock, which is Christ, and the kingdom of Christ is Rome. Is Rome. This whole thing, we, we, don't, we don't think of this. We think life is a journey. Well, I wish I didn't feel this way. I wish I could feel better and I'm going home. But God has this superintending purpose. And sometimes we don't see the purpose. His purpose is to take Paul, his gospel herald, bring him to the final antichrist enemy, as it were, and to tell him, I've raised you up for the purpose of knocking you down in the only kingdom that will stand on the last day. This is a Revelation chapter 11. And the kingdoms of men will become the kingdoms of Christ. All Rome in the book of Revelation is a picture of symbolical Babylon. And the way that symbolical Babylon, what, how does Martin Luther put it? One little word will fail him. This is a spiritual contest. This is Romans chapter 9. God says to Pharaoh, For this very reason, Pharaoh, I raised you up. Why? To knock you down. Not in a mean, vitriolic way. Not in this pugnacious, obnoxious way. Everyone's afraid of man. This is, the, this is man as tyrant. And God is showing to his lambs, I have power over the greatest, most powerful man on the planet. You are my lambs. You are safe. I'm your Christ. No one is over me. No one will snatch you. No one will destroy you. We will be victorious. And beloved, the way that Christ is victorious, the way the Christian church is victorious, which is the kingdom of Jesus, is with the proclamation of the gospel. It's with the gospel that Jesus saves sinners by his blood. Look to Christ and be saved. I know you say, well, pastor, you say it all the time. I I hope to God I say it until I can't say anything anymore. Because that is what is going to put down these other kingdoms. Paul is being brought to Caesar that he would give him the gospel. Will God convert Caesar? I don't think he did convert Caesar. But remember the two purposes of the gospel to justly judge and condemn, and then to save. But how God carries that out, again, is God's business. If someone says to me, Pastor John, you want everyone to be a born-again Christian, I don't hide that. I do not hide that. If, you, if you're a Buddhist, my entire family, my, my wife's side, they're all Hindus, they'll tell you, 
John wants us all to become Christians. Yes, I do. I tell them to their face, I do. But that's God's business. And so Paul is being taken in this journey, and I'm going to say the final point, and you know this, and this is this, metaphor, this is a real storm. And one of the interesting things about this real storm is the book of Acts contains what people refer to as the we or the us statement. The human author of this book is, is Luke, the physician. He's the, the companion of Paul. He, he's not in all of Paul's travels, but he's in some of them. He's here. He's an eyewitness. And he, literally, this is so detailed. This is not Middle Earth. This is not Tales of Narnia or anything like that. You're looking at real places. We went here. We went there. We went there. We went there. We went there. This is, the apostle, this is Luke saying, <laughs> then we, we went here, then this particular wind came up, then we had this real storm. So again, just thematically, life is a trial in Christ, testing time. It is a journey. We're, we're, we're pilgrims. And it is not possible to live the Christian life in calm weather all the time. Could God have made the storm dissipate and Paul to sail in calm weather. Could he have done it? Could he? (laughs) Yeah. Did he do it? No. Beloved, could God always make you healthy if he felt like it? (laughs) Oh, yes. I wish he would feel like it sometimes. Could he make you live a life always clear, sunny days and clear? Could he do it? Yeah. Does he do it? No, he doesn't. I, I, I don't often quote Charles Stanley. I love old Charles Stanley. I, don't, I know he's different than us, whatever. He loved Jesus in his early days. I loved him. He, he said this. This is the first Charles, not the, not, the, not, not the son. We'll leave the son for another, whatever. But the old dad, who's in glory now, he said something when I was a baby Christian. He said, this is the Christian life. And he would always go like this. Listen. You listen to me. <laughs> Life is about preparing to go into a storm, being in a stir- storm, or coming out of a storm. That's exactly right. Old Charles Stanley got that exactly right. Why does Jesus Christ bring his gospel ser- servant Paul here into a storm? Why does he do it? I am convinced. I said it at the outset. I I believe this. There are certain things about Jesus Christ that we can never learn unless we're in the storm. You just never learn them. There are certain things about Christ that you'll never learn unless you're in the crucible. You just never learn them. And, and, and what's the crucible here? They're getting ready to die. They're getting ready to die. And all the other, the, the, again, this is a contest, a, a holy contest. All of these unbelievers, unbelievers live for what? Health and wealth. And when death comes near to the unbeliever, what do they do with their wealth God? They threw the wealth God into the sea. They're trying to save their lives. God, Christ, is showing the unbelievers, he's showing us, and he shows the gospel servant. 
This is what faith can do in the storm. We can trust in Christ. My God has promised me it will all turn out well. My God has said this in his word. Therefore, I believe in my God. Now you say, well, sometimes God allows his people to die physically. Yes, he does. Sometimes he preserves us. But not one hair from your head, beloved, as a Christian, will ever perish. Not one. Not one. We only really learn that when we're in the storm. When the doctor has some hard things to tell you, when the money doesn't work, when the medicines don't work, when the kids don't work, when the pastor doesn't work, when the body doesn't work, when nothing works and the storms come and you can't, then what is it? My Christ has promised. He won't leave me. He won't forsake me. Every blessing is yes. I will finally arrive safe and sound, just like he promised. That's what we learn in the storm, beloved. By faith. By faith. May God be pleased with the preaching of his word.